Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice... Can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast, a podcast where we explore topics on Buddhist meditation and maintaining a meditation practice amidst living in a busy world. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Seeing Things as They Are. In both our homes and in our everyday lives, we already have everything we need. In this episode, we discuss how meditation, mindfulness, and feng shui can help us clear up misperceptions and learn to appreciate and value the present moment. Through this practice, we can begin to see things the way that they truly are. Today we are joined by Angie Cho. Angie is a creator of holistic spaces, specifically focused on designing interiors, and teaching feng shui and meditation. She is the author of Holistic Spaces, 108 Ways to Create a Mindful and Peaceful Home. Since 1999, she has been designing beautiful and nourishing spaces, inner and outer, with balance and harmony, informed by the ancient practice of feng shui and meditation. Her focus is to create nurturing and supportive environments tailoring her practice to each individual's specific needs. She is also a teacher of Dharma arts and meditation in the Shambhala Buddhist lineage and for Dharma Moon. The Meditation in the City podcast is hosted by the Shambhala Meditation Center of New York. Here's Angie to take away the discussion. So um, when I was asked to give a title of my talk, I thought I would bring together two things that I really love and it's meditation because all of us are here for that purpose that we um, are looking to meditate together, but also feng shui, which is a practice that actually the reason why I even joined or came to Shambhala was because of feng shui. So I had studied feng shui for many years and and I took a three-year certification program and when and um I was so surprised when I started studying feng shui that it was much more than what I thought it was and I think that's the case with a lot of practices when you go deeper right so um we had a sangha um in this feng shui school and we meditated and I was introduced to meditation And so then when that closed, when that ended, that program ended and I had finished, I wanted to keep studying and learn more about Buddhism and learn more about meditation and learn more um, of these, more about these practices. And so I started studying at Shambhala and and I think I was also really delighted, just like I was with feng shui, to, to learn that when I started studying at Shambhala, there was much more. It was much more than just meditation. And I was introduced to so many um, wonderful practices. And I think both feng shui and Shambhala have given me opportunities to 
be more in touch with my my cultural lineage and um, and also just myself. So one of the there, there's dozens of quotes from Chogun Trungpa that really um, speak to me, but one of in one of them he talks about seeing things as they are. And this is from True Perception, which is um, Chogun Trungpa's collection of talks about Dharma art. And I think this, so this was this is from the chapter called Discovering Elegance. And so he says that we need to really appreciate things as they are. They are so beautiful and so wonderful already. And I thought it was interesting that he talks about this in the chapter that's titled Discovering Elegance. So, so there's something about incorporating elegance and discovering elegance in your life through just appreciating things and seeing them as they are and not creating our own storylines and perceptions around things. And so tonight, I'm going to talk a little bit about how you can begin to see things as they are with feng shui in mind, but really bringing together feng shui and mindfulness and meditation. So I'll talk a little bit about what is feng shui. And, and ways that I feel that feng shui is really almost just the same as meditation in a way. So I'll talk about that and bring that together for you a bit. And then some ways to begin to see things as they are using feng shui techniques. And then we'll save some time for any questions. So my definition of feng shui is mindfulness of spaces. Now the the, um, what you might look if you Google it, and if you Google it, you'll probably see an article I wrote where I define it as something else. But I think it's, um, but to me, it's really mindfulness of spaces. But it is an ancient Asian art of looking at how we are interconnected and interdependent with our environments. Because feng shui was developed when we were much more in touch and in tune in, and in harmony with the environment around us. And we had, to, as humans, we had to learn how to organize ourselves with the environment and with nature in order to be safe, in order to um, thrive. So we looked at how to position ourselves where we would be safe, where we could be well accommodated, where um, we would receive the most light. So even now, like if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, if, we, if you looked at a tree, you would see that the Southern side of the tree generally receives more light, more sunlight. And so generally on that side of the tree, it would have bear more fruit. So just if we look at the world that we live in, this planet that we live on and, and our relationship to the elements around us, there are ways to position ourselves so that we can begin to see things as they are and not um, 
look away from things. And so I'm going to talk to you about that. And so I find it really fascinating how to tie, tie in mindfulness and awareness and these meditation practices that we all love. That's why we're here with our homes, because it's so easy for us to compartmentalize these things. But I think especially after the pandemic, people are really much more familiar with their homes now than they ever were because they were forced to spend tremendous amounts of time indoors. But um, this idea of being interconnected and interdependent is also a very central theme in Buddhism as well, because you start to see that you are not separate. So, and this is, so I could be talking about feng shui or I could be talking about meditation or Buddhism, um, but that we are all connected and not separate. And that what I do affects you, what you do can affect me, that our energy can um, permeate to not to just other people, but it can affect other people, it can affect your spaces, it can affect the environment, it can affect your home, it can affect, affect everything, right? So these are all interconnected, interdependent. And then when we recognize that, that we are not separate from each other, then we can start to cultivate compassion and to, um, you know, on a very basic level, we can start to empathize and understand others people that are different than us, places that are different than us, and also benefit from that, that we receive compassion from others, that um, we have compassion for those around us. And, and so this is also, this applies to our spaces too. We are not separate from our spaces. Our homes are symbols of who we are. So your home is a symbol of you. Yes. Like you're like, even in feng shui, I'm not going to get into it tonight, but like we even like, like overlay, you, we can overlay your, your body on your home. And I remember growing up and somehow, I guess I, someone told me this and I think maybe we've all, this is, we've all heard this, but um, I would rearrange my room all the time. And I think even in college too, when I got into my dorm room, I would just change everything around. Like you would change your like posters on your wall or move your, you know, back when you had time, when you were young, you would move your, you know, you would try your bed out there or try the bed there or the desk here. And I remember someone said, you change your room, you change your life. And it's always kind of uh, stuck with me that, that I learned from very early age that if I could shape if I could rearrange the environment around me, something else would change as well. And then later I learned as I studied feng shui that your home is actually like a symbol for you. And if your home is thriving and well cared for, that's a reflection of how your body or how you are cared for, or how your family is cared for, or how you care for yourself. And that this trickles out to like our, like, you know, our bodies are our own home, our homes for us, but then it trickles out to our spaces and, you know, from our bed to our bedroom, to the entire home, to the neighborhood, to the city we live in. And all of these are connected. So feng shui is a practice that really strives to bring people in harmony with their environment. And so I hope with the 
the um, talk tonight that you'll begin to see how you can really feel more connected and more harm harmonious with your space and that it can be, uh, you can start to look at your space as a way to um, like create, a, create a situation that supports you and helps you see things and have more awareness, just like your meditation practice does. Just like how meditation gives us time and space to um, get to know ourselves by looking at our homes, we get to know ourselves as well. So feng shui literally translates to wind and water. Feng means wind and shui means water. And I think about wind and water as two of the most important things that we need, need as humans to survive. And also this is, these are two very important elements in nature, right? But wind is our breath. We need to be breathing and we need water. We need to be hydrated and we're over 70, 70, 80% water. So, um, and feng shui also looks at the flow of energy or chi. Chi is life force energy in our spaces and through us. And we look to kind of correct it to see how, how things are flowing. And we also incorporate the power of intention, which is really um, the key. And I think a lot of people come to feng shui to create more peace and harmony in their lives by being supported by their environment because they know intuitively like there needs there needs to be some shift in what's going on around me to shift things inside of me and I think also the nice thing about feng shui is especially for the, a lot of the people I work with they may not a lot of people are always ready to make those internal shifts but when you can start to make the shifts outside of you it feels a lot safer and it's also grounded in the earth so it's changing like the earth element to, to then subtly make shifts inside. Um, one of my friends, she's a um, Chinese medicine practitioner. And she told me, and I didn't know this, but that originally in like, if you look at the esoteric texts from like, acu like the acupuncture Chinese medicine texts, originally, uh, you would try to work with someone's feng shui, their environment, and their astrology before you would give them herbs or needles. And, and now with TCM, um, it's been much more uh, cleaned up, right, or more westernized. And those, those esoteric practices have been eliminated, erased a little bit from those practices. But really, the reason why is because you want to make subtle changes the subtle changes gentle changes just like meditation can make dramatic shifts you don't have to be invasive and it's and it's a pretty safe way to kind of start to 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 uh, test out like how you can change yourself or change your environment and feng shui is an ancient practice just like meditation and similar to Shambhala it's uh, lineage based like the feng shui that I practice is called BTB it's a black sect and 
there's many different systems and tools that we use, which I'm not going to get into, but like, um, you know, we use the I Ching, we use the five elements and there's foundations in Taoism. We use the Loshi magic square and many different um, ancient like uh, systems to modernize them and bring them to our everyday lives. And so I'll, I'll give you the modern version. And, um, and it's more than just your home. It's more than just moving furniture around. And this is a quote from one of my teachers who, if, you, if you're interested in feng shui, I would recommend his book. It's called The Modern Book of Feng Shui. It's by Stephen Post. And he says, for the last 5,000 years, feng shui has been used as environmental science, magic, worship, and therapy to bring security, wealth, harmony, and happiness to homes, communities, workspaces, cities, and countries. So the first way that you guys can begin to start to see things as they are is to work with your windows. So in feng shui, your windows, windows of your home or windows of a space represent your eyes. And they represent the eyes of the adults and actually the mouth of the children. And what is it that they say? They feel like uh, your eyes are the windows to your soul, right? I mean, there's, it's not a coincidence that we have these, these sayings, the way, these, way, these ways of phrasing things. And if you think about it, the windows are the eyes of your home, right? So they represent your eyes. And it's really important to just, um, you, you know, you could see that even just the metaphor of it. Like if your windows are, well, it's on the most basic level, if they're dirty, if you can't see through your windows because they've accumulated so much debris, you can't see what's happening in the world around you. You can't connect to the outside world. You are looking through um, debris and you're not, be, you're not able to see clearly. And then on a mundane level, like you're not able to invite as much light in, you're not, in a, you're unable to really connect with what's happening around you outside of your own little house, outside of your own little head, right? And you could even imagine your head is a little home with the, <laughs> your eyes as the windows. And if you can't see out, see through, then you're, you have clouded perceptions. And so a very, very, very simple way to start to begin to see things as they are is to clean your windows. Take a look and see, like, how long has it been since you cleaned your windows? What are all the stories you have about it? Maybe like, oh, well, it's really hard to get to the windows. Or, um, oh, it's going to rain tomorrow. I don't want to. <laughs> to spend time cleaning the windows because they're going to just get dirty again whatever it is but it doesn't matter just be present in the moment and recognize okay well maybe it's time to clean my windows but even more than that are your windows in good working order so I've worked with people like students and clients that um have their windows uh 
in disrepair. Like one, you can't open them or they're um, painted shut or they have bars on them or, uh, I, or you have so much clutter that you've blocked up, you've covered up your windows. That's, that's definitely happened too. So, um, and, uh, you know, oftentimes what that can mean, like, for instance, if you've locked your windows with furniture, that can lead to actual eye problems too. But, but think about someone who has so much stuff, they now like have to start blocking their windows. They've created, like, they're really closing themselves off to the world and you can't bring in light and so forth. And if you're your windows aren't able to open, then you can't receive fresh air. So there's also very mundane, like um, practical reasons for this. Like in New York City, actually, so I'm an architect and in New York City, um, there are, and in most cities, I'm sure there are rules, there's codes as to how much window, how much window you need per your square feet. It needs to be like 10% light and 10% air. So like if you have a hundred square feet of a room, you need 10 square feet, 10% square feet of light. So 10, 10% um, window. And then half of that window space needs to be operable because people were getting sick. And so there, there's very practical reasons for all this, but we need to have fresh air. We need to be able to see sunlight. We need to receive sunlight and we need, need to be able to see clearly. So one way that you can begin to see things as they are is to clean your windows. Um, I was on this podcast once with this comedian, Paula Poundstone. I don't really know her that well, but uh, I'd never heard of her actually before the podcast. But she was um, funny. And she would, <laughs> she would say, she told me that she's like, oh, well, all my windows are like, locked shut with um and there's like uh inside there's like dead flies and everything <laughs> and I'm like oh boy and like well that and then she also was telling me I think that she actually had serious eye problems that were developing so open up your windows bring in more light to your space and also that practice of um that in the idea of the intention, like cleaning your windows with the intention that I'm going to wipe away and let go of some of these perceptions I have that I've created for myself. And I want to begin to connect with the world outside of me, outside of my little fortress. I want to like connect with things and see the sunlight and see things as they are without my perceptions clouding the view. That one's pretty easy, right? The next one's a little bit more complicated. Okay. The next is called the commanding position. So this is the second way that I'm going to talk about how you can begin to see things as they are. Now, in feng shui, one of the most um, fundamental principles that we use is called the commanding position. And this kind of originates from what we call the four celestial animals. So, yeah, or the 
not so fancy term of um, the cozy armchair position, which doesn't sound as fancy as the, the four celestial animals, right? But um, so the four celestial animals had um, the black tortoise in the, in the north, and then you have the white tiger and the green dragon. And then in the back, you have the red phoenix. But the idea is you could think about, you could visualize um, the red phoenix in the back is higher, right? The phoenix flies the highest. And that's like the back of your cozy armchair. And then the lowest is in the front, which is the black tortoise. So, um, and then you have the white, the tiger and the dragon on either side of you supporting your, your arms. Like if you're sitting in a cozy armchair. So the idea is that you want um, your back protected. You want the back of your head protected or you want the back of your home protected because you don't have any eyes in the back of your head, right? You see in front. So you want, so you want the, the area behind you or also if you think about it, um, your, um, your spinal cord in the back of your neck, which is really vital for you, that's on your backside. And you want to have something high to protect it. So a big mountain or the back of the armchair. And then you have your support on your sides, your two armchair things your dragon and your tiger. And then in the front, you have your, I guess it could be like your ottoman, like the, the black tortoise, but you have something low in front of you so you could see all around. And this is how we tie it into seeing things as they are because you can see in what's in front of you instead of um, having, instead of maybe facing a wall and having your, the back of your neck exposed. So basically the commanding position governs how you position yourself in a room, especially at your bed, desk, and stove. And I'll go over those with you in more detail. But because you want to, to be in the commanding position, you want to be set up so that you can see what's coming to you and your back is protected. So you want to be able to see what's coming to you usually means you want to see the door. So you want to be able to see the door without being directly in line with the door, but also have the support of a wall behind you and be protected. And so ideally, you want to be able to situate yourself at your bed, desk, and stove so you can see everything that's coming to you. Because the metaphor is, is that when you, if you set yourself up, and you can't see the door, you're not really seeing the full expanse of the room or you're not able to see things coming towards you. You're not able to see anyone that could surprise you. And you're, um, you're in a compromised position. And a lot of times I see with clients and students, like they set themselves up that way because they really don't wanna see things as they are. They wanna see them the way that they want them. They're afraid to see the possibilities that could be coming to them. So there's three areas that you really want to pay attention to in terms of the commanding position. And again, like I really relate this very much to awareness and mindfulness because when you um, are not setting yourself up in this way, then oftentimes you don't you're okay with someone surprising you. You're okay with like not seeing what's coming to you. So when you can clearly see, you can make your decisions 
you can make decisions on, um, do I want to receive this opportunity? Do I not want to receive this opportunity? How can, and you're also in a safer position, like you're, when your back is facing the door and you're at the back of your neck, it's exposed. Your old mind goes into fight or flight. Your fight or flight is activated. And your old mind will, is going to be worried and about someone coming in and attacking you or someone coming in and harming you. So you're already putting yourself at a major disadvantage by not positioning yourself where you can see what's coming in. Because again, your fight or flight is your fight or flight response is activated. And it could be very subtle, but like um, drops of water on a stone, over time, it starts to affect you. So what the bed represents in feng shui is it represents you because it's the closest thing to you. Think about how many hours you spend in bed. And of that time, you're in a passive yin state. You're really susceptible to the energies around you because you're not, you're not being active. You're receiving. So um, the bed really affects you. And it's a really one of the most important places to make sure that you're in the commanding position. So if you're not in the commanding position, it can mean that you have missed, oppor missed opportunities, that opportunities are going by, but you don't know because they're, you're just staring at the wall, basically. <laughs> you're hiding. And it can lead to anxiety because your fight or flight is activated. And that affects your sleep. It can cause mishaps because you're not well rested. You're not seeing what's coming to you. You can be surprised at any moment. And you have less control so you, and you don't feel as safe. And then you feel drained of energy. These are just some of the things, the ways that you're not being in command of your bed um, can affect you. When you're at the, you know, you're opposite the door and your back is against the wall and you're protected, but you're off to the side, who has the best view? You could see you see everything that's happening in the room, but if you're right in line with the door, someone can come into the room and be right in front of you. So the person who's coming in has the ad, uh, advantage of the situation and not you. Whereas when you're in that commanding position in that power position, you can actually, you have the most control over the room. And then again, it's like, you're seeing the things as they are, because when you set yourself up, like with your desk, maybe facing a wall and your, your back is to the door, it's like, you don't want to see the, you don't want to really see what's around you. You just want to stay in your own little corner. Um, so the best case is that um, from the bed, you can easily see when someone enters the room and you're not in line with the door. Um, like your feet is not, your feet are not in line with the door. And um, some issues and um, that possible issues, limited options, like, you know, you may not have, you may have your windows in such a way, or there's a, some kind of architectural element or a closet in a way, or your room is too small. So that's often, that often happens when so you can't, for some reason, you can't place your um, bed basically kitty corner from the door. So if you can't move your bed, then you can use a small mirror to reflect the door so that when you're lying in bed, 
like basically lying in bed, like sitting up like with your sitting up, maybe with the headboard behind you that you can see the door reflected in it. But it's always the best case to move your bed into this position if you can. But you can also do your best with what you have and correct it so you can see the reflection. So the mirror is used to help you see more clearly. Now the stove is the second um, area that you should look at for the commanding position. So your stove represents uh, your wealth and your prosperity and your finances because how well you can feed yourself or nourish yourself reflects upon how well you can do in the world. So um, when you are not at command at the stove, there can be a feeling of danger because you're working with fire. So if you think about like traditionally, like um, it, you know, we have, I mean, even like our stove, modern stoves now, you want to be careful with the fire and the gas and everything. But, but in general, you're working with something like fire. So you want to make sure like that you know what's happening around you and you're in control of the situation. So there's a sense of danger if you're not in control. And then you can surprise the person who's cooking. And if you think about that, if you're, you remember how I was describing like your fight or flight response is, is activated if you can't see the door. So if you're cooking, you're putting that challenging energy into your food while you're cooking because you're not cooking food for you and your family, feeling safe and secure and in control of your environment. You're in a place where you're maybe looking away from things and you're able to be surprised and you're maybe on edge. And if you think about it, you know, back when we were, some of us were in offices, like if you were in a cubicle, wasn't, didn't that feel like horrible? I mean, I think maybe everyone's been in a cubicle at some point in their life, right? Where anyone could walk up behind you and creep up behind you and surprise you. And maybe you, you know, you, you didn't know what was happening. So um, it's that kind of feeling like anyone could come up behind you, or if you're at a restaurant waiting for a friend, and every like if you're you're sitting where you can't see the door every few seconds you're probably like looking around like are they here yet are they here yet and you can't relax right so anyways there's that kind of anxiety that's put into that energy is put into the food that you're cooking and this even if you don't cook it's the same thing it's it's um it's the um, metaphor of it and so this disruptive energy can lead to um, an erosion in your finances, lack of control in your life and missed opportunities similar to the bed. So the best case scenario is that when you are cooking, you can see the door or the entry into the kitchen so no one can sneak up on you. But you, it's very, you know, it's more challenging to move your stove than your bed. So oftentimes your stove may not be in this position, the commanding position. So similar to the bed, you could use like a rear view mirror to capture the view behind the cook so that you can see anyone that's coming up behind you. And you could also hang a wind chime between the stove and the door if it's in line with the door. And then the desk is the third area. And your desk represents your career, 
or um, if or your you know your path in life, your reason for being. That's usually what the desk represents, or your job, or your business. And so when you set up your desk, when your desk is set up so you can't see the door, and you're not, or you're um, you're not in the commanding position, it can mean missed opportunities in your career, you know, anxiety and worry, a difficulty moving forward, challenging coworkers, lack of confidence, lack of productivity, all for the same reasons, but mainly because you're not able to. Um, recognize that your view is blocked. Again, it's about seeing things as they are, being willing to change your position so you can start to see more clearly. So the best case scenario for your desk is to sit at a desk with a view of the main door while working. But that's not always um, possible. So in reality, you may have a home office since a lot of us are working from home now or a small space that you have to work with. So you can adjust it just like with the um, other situations with a rear view mirror so you could see behind you to set up a mirror so you could see the door behind you. And then you can also do a few more things like um, Make sure that you have a high back supportive chair for that. Remember I told you about the easy armchair position that so you have that extra support behind you. And, um, and, that protect, and that protects you. And then you can also, if you have a really small space, um, dedicate the space to working for every, whatever that period of time is. So like, um, you know, I know a lot of people started working at their coffee tables or their dining table, and that's okay. You have to do the best with what you have, but even getting something like really wonderful, like uh, like little, like a desk blotter, like a rectangle, like a desk blotter that you roll up and you just have, this is my, you know, you, un you put your desk blotter out, you put your computer on it and you start working and then you put it away when it's dinner time or when the work time is over and creating a dedicated space for your work while you're working. So that way, like your work life and your, your work-life balance doesn't start to get um, muddy, that it's, that it's more, there's a clearer boundary. And also the dust blotter gives you a, like a, it adds a little bit of earth elements to have like more support. And, and also, I think it's also important to consider the commanding position when you're meditating because, um, I noticed for a long, I didn't, I didn't think about it for a long time. And then I realized, oh, I always feel anxious when I'm meditating. And I realized I was like not putting myself in commanding positions. So for a while I had like a little mirror and that really helped to relax things. Cause also, you know, maybe like, maybe you live with someone and you, and you don't want them creeping up on you while you're meditating either, right? So there's a lot of different aspects to it. So um, that helps to provide more support and how you have more control in your, while you're meditating as well. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, we invite you to leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Shambhala NYC also offers a variety of meditation courses for meditators of all levels. 
check out our upcoming programs at shambhalanyc.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.